Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... Happy Wednesday, Bills Mafia, as happy as it can be. Four days after the Buffalo Bills season came to a screeching halt at home against the Cincinnati Bengals, 27 to 10. Brandon Bean called it a a blowout, and I think he was uh, on point. We're going to talk a lot about what Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott had to say over the last 48 hours. Both of them gave their season-ending press conferences, and that's what today's going to be about. It's going to be reacting to what they said with an eye on the future because – we have the AFC and NFC title games this weekend, two weeks till the Super Bowl. And before you know it, free agency is going to be almost here. I mean, we're going to start really chugging the engine uh, towards what the Bills can do in free agency. And so we're going to talk about all that tonight on Shout at Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you, as always, by Tops Friendly Markets. Right now, you can enter for a chance to win $1 million. Each week, Kings Hawaiian is pitting two city sliders against each other in the ultimate showdown, and you get to help decide the winner. Vote weekly for your favorite regional slider for a chance to win all season long and earn entries toward the $1 million prize. Explore the interactive stadium to play games, get recipes, share photos, and more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash red zone to enter. Let's bring in Ryan Talbot. What's up, buddy? Hey, not too much. Uh, excited to be here for our staple show. Excited for Friday night at Wingnuts and ready to talk some Bills football. You know, you know what it is really, too? I'll be honest. Like, there's been this conversation amongst the fan base of, you know, we've talked to players and coaches about the aftermath of the season and just the emotional toll that it took on everybody. And you maybe saw that play out a little bit. I know Josh Allen didn't want to, you know, use that as as an excuse. If you heard him on the the basement podcast with Kyle Brandt, you know, he mentioned that for him, you know, he was able to get up for it, but I got to be honest with you, Ryan, I don't know about you, but I am just drained, man. This, this, this stretch run has been, there's just been a lot going on from, you know, that week in Cincinnati covering the DeMar Hamlin story into kind of this playoff run and pivoting. So, yeah, I'm what you're seeing behind these eyes right now is just <laughs> exhaustion. But we're going to bounce back quick because we've got a big weekend uh, on tap. Ryan, why don't you tell everybody what's going on? we got a super chat from former producer A.J. Sabalski. Uh, would you be OK with the Bills running it back with the same coaching staff, but an upgraded O-line, less injuries and less distractions? Uh, we'll hit that question in a second. Wing nuts. What's he talking about, Ryan? Yeah, Friday night we are heading back to Wing Nuts, our second podcast there. Uh, Bills Mafia. We hope that you can join us there in person. If you can't be there in person, obviously, uh, we'll be doing a live pod as well, so you could follow along there. But we're going to be having some some great wings, some of the best, if not the best, wings in Buffalo. Some beers. And we're going to be talking end of the season 
Bills talk, where we'll get into some more of this as well. We'll talk about it tonight, but coaching staff, players, you name it. We're going to put a little bow on the uh, 2022 Bills season. I can't wait, man. When we were there uh, a couple of weeks ago, I stand a lot of wings. Like, I'm a big Arbil guy. I love Elmo's. I still am old school Duffs, but man, wing nuts, they're just a little bit different. I was telling Gene and uh, Danger today on the sports bar because um, I'm trying to go to Gino and they're coming up for the show. I don't know if we'll make this one, but it's going to be kind of like a semi monthly type of deal. Mm-hmm. And they just, they hit different, those wings, right? Oh, do they ever? I mean, and they're huge wings. Uh, the sauce is phenomenal. And, and there's a great selection at that. So let's hit this before we get too much into it. I, I like the super chat from AJ. Would you be okay with the Bills running it back with the same coaching staff, but an upgraded O-line, less injuries, and, you know, obviously less distractions? You know, you probably figure they don't face a season like this again. And I think to start with, Ryan, you made this good observation. It feels like Brandon Bean is reserved. We don't know yet. They can make some changes. But at least at the top, Leslie Frazier and Ken Dorsey, it felt a lot like, you know, we're on our way to them coming back in 2023. Yeah, and I mean, he really specifically said something about Dorsey, his year two coming up and building off of what he learned. He didn't mention uh, Frazier as much in terms of the specifics of it all, uh, but Frazier's been here for a long time, too, so it wouldn't surprise me. If I were Leslie Frazier, and I think the one thing that he has working for him is he can say three of my best players on the defensive side of the ball missed significant time this year. Uh, That being Micah Hyde, that being Von Miller, and that being Jordan Poyer, who when he wasn't missing time, he was playing at less than 100%. So there's a legitimate case to be made there. Now, should he be counting on three players to make that much of a difference in his defense? Maybe not. Maybe he needs to go back to the drawing board, scheme things up differently, get a little bit more aggressive. Uh, There was a lot I didn't like. We, You and I talked in our last episode of does his message still resonate with the players on the defense side of the ball? If I were to replace one coordinator, it would probably be Leslie Frazier for that reason. Get someone new in, get someone that's maybe going to be more, I don't want to say aggressive, but scheme things up a little bit differently. We've seen the Bills uh, blow some playoff games in a lot of different manners. Obviously, the 13 seconds just not showing up this past week. Uh, but, you know, long-winded answer, if the Bills upgrade their offensive line, you can't guarantee injuries, but if they're healthy like they were the previous two seasons, I think this team would still be right there and they're running for a Super Bowl. Uh, but, but eventually, you, you don't want to be that team that hangs on too long with coaches and things like that. I don't know if it would be too long to bring Frazier back. I'm not saying it would be, but eventually the Bills do need to make some decisions on that coaching staff, whether it's defensive line, whether it's a, another position, may, maybe just changing up a few spots at that. Well, one thing that I think, you know, we were talking about it with uh, one fan that uh, we often have conversations with in the, in the DMs, good buddy, uh, Sid Vicious, Vicious Sid, look him up. Uh, he's a good follow on, on social media about just like, you know, Adam Schefter reported that Joe Brady is, you know, interviewing multiple spots for offensive coordinator jobs, the Jets and the Chargers. He could be on the way to a new home. And if that's the case, that quarterback's job, coach job is going to open up. And, you know, it's interesting. There's so many different ways I think the Bills could go. I don't know if Matt Barkley necessarily is like eyeing a career in coaching. Um, he's very close to Josh Allen, but I like that idea of getting somebody that has a rapport with Josh Allen already. I think that's one of the things 
Dable kind of filled that role when he was the offensive coordinator. And then over time, I think Josh and Ken got really close uh, when he came in as the as the quarterbacks coach, and it was still so new, he was still developing. Ken had been to a Super Bowl with the Carolina Panthers, you know, as their quarterbacks coach with Cam Newton. So, you know, there was something that he was bringing to the table that, um, and Josh was complimentary of Joe Brady. But I got to be honest with you, like I haven't heard a lot of people going crazy talking about Joe Brady. You know, in, in in the past, I feel like Ken Dorsey. Anytime you know Josh was asked about his development, he was always you know quick to bring up Ken Dorsey. Now, part of that is Josh has developed when Joe Brady got to town, so it was a little bit of a different dynamic. But a couple people in the comments, and I retweeted this yesterday. Davis Webb is thinking about a you know starting his coaching career. Uh, he got a chance to play a little bit this past year in New York, maybe exercise some demons from where he he started a, as a rookie and now he's ready to kind of get coaching and to me I think that is the perfect situation he's got a built-in rapport with Ken Dorsey which I think is is so important and I wonder Ryan and I want to ask you this how much do you think and I'm, again this always feels like I'm trying to give excuses out to Dorsey and it's <laughs> not really what I'm attempting to do I'm just trying to like give people the the full context of the season and the job that he had how much do you think that maybe this played against their offensive strategy that they maybe had three cooks in the kitchen with Brady and Cromer, both who had offensive coordinator experience. And then of course, Dorsey kind of taking the reins for the first time, not to mention the fact we don't, we never talk about this. I mean, Mike Shula in the mix too, a guy that has run an entire operation himself. He was in the mix. I felt like the, sometimes there might be just too many messaging. I think that's a fair point. And, and, you know, it's hard to answer if that was the case or not, but there were times where things seemed disjointed with the offense and, and, I've said I thought he did a good job for first-year offensive coordinator, and I'm going to stand by that. But there are also drives where, why are they doing this on first down? And then, uh, you know, incomplete long throw down the sidelines, and they're running it on second and long, getting a short gain, setting themselves in these these bad third-down situations. They never played a full four quarters. There'd be some really good stretches for a quarter, quarter and a half. But then there was a lot of like, well, why are they doing this? Why are they getting away from this? So, And maybe it was. Maybe it was just too many voices, too many opinions. That's the big thing that Dorsey needs to work on in year two if he returns, if he doesn't get uh, a, you know, a head coaching job. Obviously, he interviewed with the Carolina Panthers for that position. He, he needs to make sure that whatever his game plan is, it makes sense from you know quarter one to quarter four. Uh, you're not asking Josh to make these superhuman plays left and right. You, you're okay with him dinking and dunking it down the field. You're not taking all those shots or as many as, as you were before. So, yeah, it might have been too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, when I posed the question yesterday on social media about Davis Webb specifically, I had a lot of people saying yes. I had some saying, no, I want someone that's proven. But you did a really good article on Davis Webb a few years ago when he was in Buffalo, Matt, and, and he was in the meetings. He was taking these full notebooks uh, of ideas and talking with Josh. He was essentially a player slash coach at that time. And by the way, those were the years where Josh developed and he got better and better and better. So uh, I think if you could bring Davis Webb back into the fold, if Joe Brady goes somewhere, uh, it's going to be addition by subtraction just based on the rapport that they have and what we've seen from Josh Allen when they've been together. I think also the the complicated part of all of this is like, you have the history of Cromer. Obviously, his specialty is in the run game, like going back to L.A., you know, even Buffalo early on with McCoy. And, you know, you take Brady, who was a wide receivers coach at LSU and former. I think he played wide receiver in college. I got to go back and look at that. It might have been 
defensive back. I can't remember. A little bit different. Obviously, Ken Dorsey comes at it with his experience as a quarterback. And all three of them are coming together to try to run Brian Dable's system, which was put together in part. Like, I think part of the reason that Dable's system was so complicated, and I don't have any inside knowledge, this is just my guess, is because of all the stops that he's been over the course of his career, working with Belichick, working with uh, Josh McDaniels, working with Nick Saban, you know, working as an offensive coordinator himself in a bunch of different spots in Cleveland and Miami and Kansas City and all these different coaches that he's interacted with over the years, you know, came together this really intensive, you know, scheme that, you know, even veterans, I mean, Emmanuel Sanders, who's won Super Bowl, has been in the league for over a decade, came in and his eyes were bugging out of his head. Like, this is a, this is a serious playbook. And so I think the challenges just there is a lot on the plate of Dorsey kind of pushing it forward. And then also at the same time, and Brandon mentioned this yesterday, putting his own spin on everything. I think a full off season to bring along James Cook. And this is the benefit of the doubt that I'm giving to Dorsey because he's a young play caller. His first year as an offensive coordinator. And the funny thing is, all the people that are coming, and this is just an observation. So if, the, if you fall into this bucket, don't take too much offense. I guarantee you, if you poll the people that are the, the, the strongest opinion of moving on from Ken Dorsey, and you go back through their social media, even the deleted posts, and see if you can find a fire Dable and promote Ken Dorsey tweet. I've seen it from handles that I, I interact with on social media quite a bit. I just think when things aren't going right, the easiest thing to do is to just say, I want something different. Here's an idea, though, Ryan. What's different? What what do the Bills do if they if they go a different direction than Ken Dorsey? Do they go try to get Frank Reich to come in as their offensive coordinator? Is that an entirely new system? And now Josh Allen has the third offensive coordinator in three years. What happened to Baker Mayfield when that happens? Obviously, different players. Josh Allen's an MVP candidate. But if you're going to flush everything that has been that's been used to make him successful in this offense over the last five years, three you know, obviously more recently and start anew. What does that venture look like? You can't answer that because you, because we don't know, but if you do change things up, it's never good usually for the quarterback uh, for, for the skill players, because you're learning a new system, you're learning new terminology. Uh, you're learning a lot of just new things in general and, and it throws everything off. And that's not to say stay with the status quo. Uh, but I believe that, that Ken Dorsey deserves another year. If I remember correctly, Matt, when Brian Dable was here every year, he would talk with Allen about certain plays that they had run the year before, and Allen would have input on, yeah, I didn't like that. I liked mm, this. That's something point. that he can do with Ken Dorsey now, too. Dorsey can go through the the Rolodex of things that they've done and be like, okay, uh, what did you think of this play? What did you think of that? And maybe it will be less is more in year two, where he had this big scheme of, here's what's going to happen with this, 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 and this, but... Let's stick with the bread and butter. Let's stick with the plays that work because there's things you can do to, to change up the route slightly or to change things up a little bit, but you can keep the, the personnel, the, the play calls, a lot of it the same for the most part. And a lot of teams do that where uh, it's a lot of the same plays, just slightly different route uh, breaks and, and things like that in them. So it's always easy to replace someone, but do you have an actual plan in place that's going to be beneficial for this team? That's the hard part. Yeah, and on the defensive side of the ball, you know, I think that there's they got to look at some uh, at making some changes. Like, you know, I, I've suggested, you know, Eric Washington is mm-hmm. is maybe a place to start, and I think reimagining 
what that room looks like. Now, the difficult part about that is you're three years into AJ Epinesa, right? You're um, two years into Boogie Basham now. And what? how are you going to find a way to make that work, right? Are you going to find somebody that could come in here day one and supercharge the development of those two players? At the very least, Boogie. Like, you might be to the point where – Listen, AJ Epinesa had six and a half sacks this last year. I don't think that that should be just completely pushed right. aside. I think that's, you know, that's progress. And I think that's what you're looking for. And, and I and I respect Brandon Bean talking about not wanting to overreact to one game, right? Like, so you you take a game, the Bills defensive line was so bad, overreacting that they didn't have Von Miller, all of that. I get that. But to have that game and to have that much of a sample size of 60 minutes and have it just be, you're not affecting the game whatsoever in your third season, you know, and the Greg Rousseau excuse even holds more water to me because, you know, he's banged up, he had the high ankle sprain. It hasn't looked the same since I, that kind of holds up a little bit more because he was looking much better before that injury. So I could see that playing in Epinesa. I don't know what the excuse is, but if you flush it, if you say, all right, we're done with Eric Washington, we're going to bring in a new defensive line coach. That's going to be the change that we make. Are you going to be able to get the, you know, year three boogie is that new message going to resonate quick enough is he going to develop in time and are you willing as brandon bean and let me ask you this question ryan are you willing to sit here right now with epinesa and boogie on the roster shaq's a free agent we'll see what happens there rousseau and vaughn coming back as your starting edge rushers are you satisfied going into next year as those two guys as your three and four and do you think it's going to be good enough moving forward in the next season I'm not satisfied going into the season with it. I'm looking at options that are available and listen, they're not breaking the bank in free agency. Brandon Bean said as much. And, you know, when he, when he was pushed back on that saying, well, you said the same thing last year, then you went and signed Von Miller. He said Von Miller is pretty much like a a multi-year lottery ticket where, you know, we we can't go and spend again. We, we, we invested a lot in this one player and I believe him on that. So He's not going to go out and break the bank on another free agent, but there's going to be some uh, middle, second uh, tier, third tier type free agents that maybe their pressure rates were good. It was just opportunities. You bring a player like that in and compete for uh, defensive end three, defensive end four. I think that's fine. You can look at some of the guys uh, that you had on your roster here at the end of the year. Kingsley Jonathan, I thought flashed at times for the team. You can bring him in to compete. That, that's nothing new. You, you know, they, they've always had guys that they brought back, whether it was practice squad guys that they signed to futures deals uh, that eventually maybe made the main roster. So you do have to have some competition. I would not be satisfied with the bills just handing those two jobs out to your counterpoint with Eric Washington. He could sit there and say, I doubled the production of Greg Rousseau from four sacks to eight sacks. And, and he played fewer games this season. I got AJ Eppen as a sack total up. Von Miller looked great when he was in there and we were, we did really well. Our pressure rate was high when he was there. I don't Run know if D- he gets the, I don't know if he gets to take that, the credit. He, for he that. doesn't get the credit for okay. Von, but, but the, the pressure rate overall from the right. defensive line. And, and then I think he could say that the run defense was better this year as a whole, which it yeah. was. And, and that starts up front. So th- there's a case to be made for Washington, but at the same time, I'm in that boat where if you're going to make a change, it probably starts there. Uh, because we we haven't seen leaps and bounds in terms of development from an AJ Epinesa and Boogie Basham's been very sporadic. We saw him a lot as a rookie inactive. Year two he played more, but 
Uh, he would disappear at times, and Rousseau too, before injury and after injury. It was night and day, um, but he did at least make some kind of significant stride, in my opinion. I'm old enough to remember Sunday afternoon when inactives came out, and I tweeted, Daquan Jones is an absolutely horrible, horrible development for this team. Like, this is going to look completely different. And I'm old enough to remember people telling me that it's okay because, you know, shoulder injury Jordan Phillips was good enough. You want him over Daquan Jones in that matchup. I will, in my life, never, ever forget those tweets (laughs) because they were (laughs) the most nonsensical things I'd ever heard. It's almost like the people tweeting that didn't watch the Bills defensive line all season. Daquan Jones was as important to this thing against the run and against the pass. Like, of course, he was huge in the run game. I mean, I think he completely changed the like the philosophy, the mindset. Like, he plays so physical, so nasty all the time. That's a big part of it. The thing with Eric Washington is, too, and, like, I really like how the Miami Dolphins do it. They make their coordinators and their position coaches available after games. The Bills don't do that. So I can't just walk up to Eric Washington after the game and have a conversation about, what happened. So I've, I've talked to Eric Washington once this entire season, cause it was for a feature, that story that I was doing. So they're very protected in that way. No, I didn't have one conversation with Joe Brady all season long. It's just the way the bills do it. It is what it is, but I would like to get a feeling about where Eric Washington was at after that game, going against all of those backup offensive linemen and not being able to impact the game in any way. And you know what? Like, that Ed Oliver question, I think it was Jay Skursky from the Buffalo News that asked Brandon Bean and saying that yeah. you know, there's still some meat on the bone and you know that you know we're going to look for more from him last year. That is not a good thing, Ryan. That is not a good no. thing that we're sitting here at the end of year four. Right. Advantageous matchups in the middle, and we're talking about needing more from Ed Oliver. To me, that's also a reflection of Eric Washington. He's had three years now with, with Ed Oliver, and I, I feel like there has not been a significant jump outside of a few splash performances. Yeah, and that's just that's the perfect term, Matt. Splash performances, splash plays. He had those moments where it's like, oh man, what a game, what a performance. Um, put him in a Thanksgiving game every year, and he's going to make a big play. It feels like, um, but it, then he would disappear. And in a game where the Bengals were featuring three backups, you thought this could really be a game where Ed Oliver's is a, a wrecking ball of sorts. He's getting in the backfield, disrupting the run plays. He's getting in the backfield, uh, getting in, in Joe Burrow's face and making it hard for him. And it just didn't happen. And that's the former number nine overall pick. And like you said, if you're sitting there saying, yeah, we picked up the fifth year option, but there's still meat on the bone. Whew, that's pretty concerning because at this point, you should know what you're getting from this player week in, week out. It shouldn't be splash plays. It should it doesn't have to be dominance of the level of Aaron Donald or or some of these premier players like a Chris Jones. Obviously, Ed Oliver is a completely different type of defensive tackle. He's undersized, but you should be getting more out of him at this point in time. PMAC movies here taking a run at uh, me here, it looks like. <laughs> we need to bring Matt's training camp darling Tavon Austin back to for next year. He was the missing piece. He did have a nice training camp, but I also think that that's a great point. Listen, we cover the heck out of training camp on shop. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of our favorite times of year. I will admit at times probably we do kind of overreact to some of the stuff that we're watching out of practice, but we're trying to bring you that as much of that as we can bring you, we bring you. And I thought that Tavon Austin at times looked really good, but the context is important. You remember the piece of it that I added every single time it's against the third team. It's against the second team. That's important. But I think that point's important to talk about a little bit because I think there was a big problem with the Bills going into this season. 
And that was too, we talked about too many cooks in the kitchen offensively. They were throwing too many players at problems specifically mm-hmm. at wide receiver. So you had Gabe Davis, you, you had him locked in at wide receiver two. You had digs at wide receiver one, get the right amount of touches, get the right amount of setup and go out there and win games and be effective. And for the most part, he did look at the numbers. I mean, they were second in the NFL in scoring second in the NFL in total yards. Brandon Bean put it well, like it was at times, it never felt like they played their best game, their full best collective game. But I think that that was an oversight on the part of the Bills. I think one of the things I think you could take from the Cincinnati build isn't like how they did it because we can get into that in a moment. I do want to talk about that because it was interesting. But what you can take is they have definitive roles for the players in their offense, right? What's Isaiah McKenzie's definitive role in this offense? It changes week to week. One week he's the the gadget guy. One week he's the slot guy. One week he's lining up on the outside. It's – it's just too much all over the place. And I think that from an identity perspective, they have to figure out who they are, who they want to be, give people roles and have them fill them. If James Cook is going to be your guide, your, your pass catching running back for two weeks in the playoffs, he needs a target. He needs a catch. Get him involved in the game. It's simple stuff. You trade for Naheem Hines. The playbook's hard. Make it easier. Figure out a way to utilize the players that you have. And anything else is just excuses. And that's the part of it that I'm not going to give them passes on. Because you you brought in the players that you did, you got rid of the players that you did, and you got to make it work. Yeah, and, and listen, I hate the playbook is difficult excuse and different type of player. One's one has been a superstar in his career. Hines has had nice moments as a back as a return man, but was the playbook in San Francisco too hard for Christian McCaffrey? Because I think he's doing pretty well there, and, and he was traded at the deadline. I don't think there was any kind of. Uh, hesitation to get him into the lineup. I, I think it was just a personnel, you know, problem. It's kind of the same thing that you were just saying, throw throwing too many players at a spot. They traded for Naheem Hines and it sounded like, Hey, this is going to be that X factor on offense. Wasn't really, what was it? 13 touches in, in as an offensive player. And the rest came on special teams. He was phenomenal as your kick and punt returner, but you did not have a defined role for him. You would see him come into the backfield a few times per game and it was usually the same thing. He would stay back for a minute, then he would roll to his left, and and Josh would throw to him sometimes, sometimes not. Uh, it, it wasn't a lot of great creativity there for him. So you traded for this guy, be, that being Brandon Bean. Why wasn't he more involved? Going to the slot uh, discussion, you said it. Isaiah McKenzie, I think they went into this offseason thinking we're going to give him a legit opportunity to win that job against Jameson Crowder. Crowder dealt with some injuries at camp, was on the bike a lot. Uh, McKenzie was impressive there, but it just never panned out in the regular season. Then you were kind of stuck there. So they do. They they bring in some guys. They draft players. Khalil Shakir, I would have loved to seen what he could have done over a a full season. But his snap count, his opportunities are very limited. We saw at the end of the year, he looked pretty good. I think he's going to have a monster 2023 season. But at the same time, who's to say the Bills don't bring in another slot player to compete against him? Resign Cole Beasley and say, well, Beasley's going to have a, a solid role here too. Uh, eventually, you have to roll with your guys and let people know you are our top reserve at this. But the majority of the snaps or the bulk of the snaps are going to go to this player and you're going to have to wait your turn. It, it's really tough to do in, in today's game, day and age because you want to get as many weapons as possible, but th- they did themselves a disservice there. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. You ready? Showtime. 
On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Our good buddy Scott Maranto, who I hope is going to be in the house at Wing Nuts on Friday night. It was weird. We had a we had a live event and Scott wasn't there. I, yeah. I felt we've done probably what probably seven or eight of these where you've actually come into town. I think Scott's been at every one. Uh, we were even doing uh, I was doing a live podcast once with Pat Moran, and all of a sudden Scott comes in and he was driving home from work. He was listening to it. He or he saw me tweet that I was going to be doing the show there. He just stopped in for a beer. So very big friend of the show, a uh, good buddy of mine, Scott Moranto. The pursuit of the pass catching running back. He says will be the biggest mystery of the Bills' 2022 offense. From McKissick to Cook to Hines, was the production scheme ever evident? Two things on this. Number one, credit to Scott. He was on the Christian McCaffrey train two years ago. I mean, I remember we were at um, uh, Sonny Reds. Sonny Reds. Sonny Reds. And he came up on the show, and we were doing live hits with with some fans, and Scott was just, let me throw this by you. And he's like, trade for Christian McCaffrey. He'll completely change your offense. You already have weapons. You already had digs at the time. You know, you had a couple other people at the time. And, you know, it was interesting, right? And you got to thinking about it. I ended up doing an article about it shortly after that. I was like, you know, this makes a ton of sense. Did I think it was going to be this explosive type of thing? Like it, it's turned out to be for San Francisco, completely unlocking him once again? No, I mean, he was a, Scott, that was a visionary kind of take. And you wonder if like, if this was the thing that you wanted, right? If you're Brandon Bean and going back now, and if it would have cost you a first round pick to go out and trade for Christian McCaffrey, maybe you just should have done it because it's like, and this is the next topic I want to get to the last four drafts, Ryan, the more and more you (laughs) peel back the layers starting in 2019, it doesn't give you a great feeling. Of course they traded a first for Stefan Diggs and, you know, Bean made a point to mention that, that, you know, that was their first round pick that year. Kudos. For sure. But man, it was they got to do better in the draft. Like that, that's that's the that's the long and short of it. And there's just too many to the Cody Fords of the world, the Wyatt Tellers of the world. Drafting them is one thing, failing to develop them is another thing. But then giving up on them, and like we'll see what happens with Cody Ford. It may never materialize. But the Wyatt Teller story is a cautionary tale for as we look right. towards this very important 2023 draft. Yeah, we'll talk more about the draft here in a minute, but it's been disappointing. Uh, no Pro Bowlers since I believe it was the 2018 draft. And I get it. Pro Bowl is one way to look at things. But the roster overall has had more misses than hits. And then the, the quote unquote hits have not been game changers. You need to have a few of those here and there. And I, I know every year you can't expect it. Uh, but But these draft classes have had more misses, in my opinion, uh, lack of difference makers, and I get that when you're a good team, you're you're drafting in the 20s, mid 20s, late 20s, whatever it may be, and it gets harder and harder. 
but there are still gems that are found every year in the draft, Matt, whether it's first round, third round, seventh round, Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy, uh, whatever it may be. And the Bills aren't seeing that as much. And before we get into the draft, we do have another super chat here from our friend Thomas Felzone. Mm. I'm sure you all already touched on it, but man, oh man, was Bean's press conference disappointing. Lots of beating around the bush and no accountability. I I can see where you're coming from with this. He, he's not going to sit there a, a day or two after the season ends and, and throw anyone under the bus, throw any players, throw any coaches under the bus. He did make some good points about, you know, this was our first blowout loss since probably that Colts game uh, last year. It, they had three regular season losses by eight total points. It, it was just, they, they ran into to a buzzsaw of sorts in the Cincinnati Bengals. And I had someone ask me, it was actually a, a really interesting question had that terrible injury or or the cardiac arrest for DeMar Hamlin never happened. If the Bills go in Cincinnati, play that game, and Cincinnati lays a, a beat down on them like they did in the playoffs, do the Bills learn from it and come back with a much different game plan in the playoffs? And my answer is probably yes. Uh, you would think that they would try to change things around, but they didn't have that tape to depend on in terms of how they matched up and they, they couldn't scheme things up any differently. So uh, it, it definitely did not help the Bills in this scenario. And we all saw it played out. But, you know, we'll, we'll go more into Brandon Bean talk here in a minute. There were one or two things that he mentioned, maybe three things that I really uh, caught my eye that I was interested in. But let's talk more about the draft first here, Matt. So, yeah, like I went back and looked at 31 players, right? Like, and you go through draft by draft and listen, there's some, there's some hits, right? There's some wins for Brandon Bean. And I think you can start in 19. I think Dawson Knox is a huge win. You end up re-signing him, uh, you know, to franchise uh, tight end money. Uh, I know it wasn't like the, the year that I think everybody was hoping for with him, but I thought he finished it pretty strong. Five straight games with a touchdown catch. Yeah. I think that's the, what you're looking for at that position long-term and, you know, Fast forward to next season, and maybe you don't have to deal with the emotional toll that he probably carried throughout the season. I mean, we talk about the DeMar Hamlin situation. He lost his brother right before the season started. So I can't imagine what that was like. And hearing him talk at you know at locker cleanout the other day, it's like that, that doesn't that's not something that just goes away overnight. That's something that he he dealt with all season long. So that's part of it, right? Um, I thought Devin Singletary, third round running back, he had a nice run as a Bills player. I thought he had, you know. In a in a in an offense that's been predicated around running, you know, fine little career. Oliver, we talked about him already, and I think that he's in his own, his own bucket of. I don't know if it's met the expectations, but then you just fast forward, and it's like, I don't want to say it so harshly because there's still time. They're young players. I will give Brandon Bean that, and for who just said that about the accountability thing, he took some accountability. He sure. said, "Start with me." You know, he said, "Start with me," and he said, "Right now, coming off of that blowout." lost they don't have a lot of answers right now so that that's fair but you go to the 2020 draft and i know it's not an excuse but the covid year i think really was a funky time and they just did not hit on those picks i mean you're looking at aj epinesa i think dane jackson is the one guy that came out of that draft that's played um substantial uh time for them uh you fast forward to 2021 with greg rousseau the boogie basham pick is going to be one of those ones that you look back in 10 years at Creed Humphrey's career and just say, what in the world? Because even if you, you were thinking there, uh, we can't take Creed Humphrey because we got Mitch Morse. Look what the Philadelphia Eagles are doing right now, Ryan. Yeah, They have Jason Kelsey, an all-world center, and they drafted Alabama's Landon Dickerson, who plays center too. And they just told him, listen, until Kelsey's done, get comfortable at left guard. And he's been a really, really good left guard learning 
next to one of the best in the game, right? You take Creed Humphrey and you just say, you're slotted into left guard. You never have to have the Roger Saffold experiment and you, you move on in that direction. And here's the thing about Saffold, side note. I really like Saffold, the guy. I think adding mm-hmm. him to the locker room was a really good thing. I think him and Josh Allen clicked. They, they hung out a lot away from the facility. He was a that kind of middleman between Aaron Cromer and all those offensive linemen. He'd been in his system before. I liked a lot of things about it. I wrote about it. Remember, I, I kind of predicted it before it even happened when the Tennessee Titans were thinking about cutting him. But he just doesn't – he's 34 years old, and he's thinking about coming back next year. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I don't think that could be the play. And then the Cody Ford thing. They trade up to get Cody Ford, have the worst plan of all time for an offensive <laughs> lineman. Right. Like, look, go back to 2019, the Ty and Secchi splitting reps. Hey, by the way, this is one thing I'll definitively say. Let's throw out this rotating starting players thing. I think it stinks. I think it doesn't work. I think it's we have enough examples now of it not working for this franchise under Sean Mm -hmm. McDermott. And it started with Ty and Secchi and Cody Ford all those years ago. And I think it completely took sapped all the confidence out of Cody Ford. And then look who went after the, after Cody Ford, they could have sat at 40 Ryan and drafted AJ Brown or DK Metcalf. Could you imagine this offense with that? Yeah, it would be unbelievable. And you know, you, you did a good job running through these draft classes, 2020, you can look at Gabe Davis round four in terms of being a, a hit for where they landed him. Tyler Bass obviously has been, uh, very good in terms of, uh, you know, kicking uh, for this team. Isaiah Hodgins and no longer with Buffalo, but we did get to see, given an opportunity, what he could do, and he looked pretty good for the Giants. Uh, I think when the Giants start adding no more playmakers, he'll find himself in more of a wide receiver four, wide receiver, you know, bottom of the rush type of guy like he was here in Buffalo. But th- there's a lot of misses here. There's a lot of guys that they've drafted where it's it's what's the plan for them? What are they really going to do? Um, bottom of the roster players, it's tough. Rashad, you know, wild goose. He's gone. Jack Anderson never had a chance here. He was gone. Um, oh, Ryan, by the way, gone. Yeah. On the Oliver point that I forgot to nudge in there. They take him at nine. Christian Wilkins goes a couple picks later and Jeffrey Simmons goes a couple picks after that. So of the four defensive tackles in the top 20 of that draft, the bills got the worst one. Yeah, And I hate saying that because I love Ed Oliver, like the guy. Like, I love being around him. I think the horse part of it, that, like, right. Texas, like, vibes. Like, I, I love everything about the guy. And I think this, if you got the splashy Ed Oliver even 15 or 20% more of the time, I wouldn't even have as, as harsh of a take as it is. But to have Vaughn go out and you need one person to step up on that line with Rousseau playing with that, you know, banged up ankle. It had to be Ed, didn't it? Yeah, it had to be. And, you know, looking – and it, it's always hard because when you look back, you probably would have said at the time, ah, I really don't want Wilkins, don't know what how good he's going to be. Well, he, he's a game changer. He's a, a game wrecker for Miami. He would be a, a huge difference maker in Buffalo. We know what Simmons can do. He's been phenomenal in his career. So, yeah, it, it's fair. Some of these moves that they've made, some of the players that they've drafted high, there's been better options behind them that they've just kind of missed on. Uh, in their evaluations. And it's something where they have to kind of take a a long look at themselves and say, how did we miss on this? Why were we so wrong? What did we think we were getting in at Oliver? And I remember all the comparisons and they were not fair to, to be comparing him 
uh, to some of the, the premier defensive tackles in the game. And Donald was one of them that he, he drew comparisons to for being undersized. A player like Donald is once every decade or two. You're not going to just right. stumble into that and get someone like that. They when they needed someone that was more of a you know a, a game a potential game record a regular a full size defensive tackle Wilkins would have been a better option. Uh, obviously Simmons Simmons had some red flags if I remember correctly, uh, so maybe that's pushed him down the board a, a, a bit. But there's been some misses in terms of position versatility or position needs that they needed. Humphreys is the big one that fans always bring up with Boogie Basham. And it's kind of underst- it's very understandable after seeing the, the play of this offensive line uh, down the stretch of the season. The one bean quote that went viral yesterday, we should probably touch on that quickly, mm-hmm. um, talking about drafts and everything like that. It's interesting because he was asked about if there's anything that it's kind of a similar question he was asked after last year. If there's anything that the Chiefs do that he can, that he's kind of looking at with their roster, their build and adapt to what the Bills are doing. And he kind of got asked the same question about Cincinnati. And he basically said, well, listen, they're, they have the benefit right now that they're playing on a rookie quarterback quarterback contract. So they've been able to add in certain places. Like they've spent a lot of money on the defensive line, Hendrickson, Reader, Bates in the secondary. I mean, they, they paid a lot of guys. They paid some offensive linemen, right? They went out and got a tight end. I, you know, I don't know. I don't have Hayden Hurst in front of me, but I'm sure he's getting paid uh, pretty decently. Um, they've, they've added play. They paid Joe Mixon. I mean, they, they played people around the rookie quarterback. The difference between the two builds, though, is that Joe Burrow, in a lot of ways, was pro-ready, right? Like he is, you draft him at one, you start, you hit go from the start, and it's going to look a lot like it does today. Like, obviously, it's evolved. It's gotten better. He's gotten better. They've become this really elite offense. He's an elite quarterback. But when he came into the league, I mean, he was operational, man. Like he was, a lot of what we saw at LSU, you saw in year one, even before Chase got there. You know, but then, you know, they go through the struggles of that first year. They're able to draft top 10 and they just land on a receiver, which is Jamar Chase there. But they've been competitive and they've built a Super Bowl contender. They went to the Super Bowl in the rookie window. I don't think that was ever possible with Josh Allen. Right. Like maybe in that third year, which I think was right before he signed the extension. Am I right? I have to go back and think, but yeah, because there are questions about whether they're signing him too early. Right. If there was a big enough sample size and. So, I mean, I guess that's an f- unfair statement because they were one game away from the Super Bowl. And right. but they, they they lost badly in that game. It never was really close. So a little bit different. There was a little bit more development that have to, had to happen with the quarterback. And it's it's almost like a race against time, right? Like depending on where the quarterback is, you know, uh, and I think Patrick Mahomes actually won one on his rookie deal, right? The Super Bowl? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, Billy Piano in the comments, at least being hit on the franchise quarterback. Yeah, listen, that's the most important position in football. And the Bills missed on a lot of guys before Bean came along. So he, he deserves a lot of credit for that, especially a quarterback that most people weren't saying was going to be uh, a sure thing. But to, to the point of what Brandon Bean was saying, it gets more difficult when your quarterback's getting paid a lot of money, when you have money tied up in Stefan Diggs and uh, Matt Milano, Trey White, and the list goes, obviously, Von Miller and free agency, the list goes on and on and on. The Bengals are going to run into these problems in, in due time. Once Burrow gets his huge contract, they're not going to let Chase go anywhere. So does that mean that T. Higgins goes somewhere? Maybe. Maybe they have enough money to make that work, too. But then after that, well, good luck to you because then you're going to be in the same boat as the Bills where there's only so much money to go around. You have to be really good at drafting. Maybe they will be. 
Um, but it becomes a whole different ball game once you start paying your quarterbacks. And that's not to build in more excuses for Brandon Bean. What he said, though, is factually correct. And I also I see some of this sentiment in the in the comments and I, I agree wholeheartedly with this it's one of the things i push back with when people are super super critical of sean mcdermott and and brandon bean is like this is five playoff appearances in six years andy reed is considered to be one of the greatest coaches of all time right like i mean right. anybody would trade places maybe outside of new england maybe san francisco at this point with kyle shanahan to get andy reed right like that would be the dream right mm-hmm it was a disaster in Philadelphia, right? By all accounts. I mean, they were trying to run him out of town and eventually they did. They fired him. He got to the Super Bowl. He got to the NFC title games and they just couldn't win it. It got to the Super Bowl and they couldn't win it. What's worse? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess you'd rather get there, obviously, right? Right. But I think that what the Bills have done with being a McDermott is they've created a, um, a winning program, right? They got to take it to the next step. They know that. Josh Allen knows that. And I think changing too much, I think, so back up a little bit. This is something that I want to get into on my Ken Dorsey take that we kind of, uh, we're moving through some other stuff. I think what has to happen is they got to go Brandon, Sean, Ken, whatever the QB coach, Josh, Cromer, throw Boris and Chad Hall in there too, whatever. And literally just, and they might do this. I don't know the protocol of, of what their postseason meetings look like or film study. They have to literally go and throw up a one-hour highlight of all the good and bad plays from the season. Watch it together and write notes down and say, okay, this is what we like. Go around the room. This is what we didn't like. Go around the room. And then as a collective group, come to a shared understanding of what they want it to be next year. And a lot of that's got to be driven by Ken Dorsey, right? Right. The training wheels are off now. Now you have to run the ship. you got to be the Brian Dable, the CEO of the offense at this point, because all the excuses are going to be gone into next year. Next year is the most important year of this whole thing now. It really is. And that's why I think the Davis Webb thing is super interesting. That's beside the point. Once you arrive on that, that will then empower Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, for that matter, because he's pretty involved with all the parts of the process, to go out and engineer the off-season plan around what Ken needs to run his offense. And then, once that happens, that's when the evaluation truly starts on Ken Dorsey. And I know from a fan's perspective, that sucks because you're like, well, I wanted them to win a Super Bowl this year, right? But next year, you know, 26 into 27-year-old Josh Allen, I mean, we're talking about the heart of the prime of his career. You got to win. Yeah, have to win. And I like what you said about getting them all together because even from training camp, it, there were so many kind of mixed messages about what this offense is going to be. Uh, we, we talked about the pursuit of J.D. McKissick, and, and they miss out on that. They get James Cook. Okay, they're going to utilize a pass-catching running back. That never really came to be. This team still struggled with the screen passes for what felt like the 10th straight year. Training camp, I felt like we saw a lot of two tight end sets, Matt. Uh, I thought that was going to be a big part of this offense, getting two guys out there on the field. And, that you know, we got to see a little bit of Quentin Morris. We obviously saw Dawson Knox come out at the end of the year. But for a lot of the season, there were, there were many games where it's, man, the, this tight end position is not even getting utilized at all. Uh, they're blocking more. They're not getting targeted in the passing game. So from day one this year, it felt like a lot of – what we thought we were going to see never came to fruition. We thought maybe more balance on offense. That wasn't the case. 
So now whatever that is, whatever Ken Dorsey and them come up with, Dorsey's got to kind of stick with it and say, okay, this is what we said we're going to do. We're going to do it where there might be some lumps along the way, but we can't just go away from something altogether when we are, we're investing in a James Cook in round two, and then we're not utilizing his talents. Uh, we're trading for Naheem Hines, and we're not getting him onto the field uh, nearly enough on the offensive side of the ball. So they do need to get together and figure out what worked well for them. What can they build off of that? And then most importantly, it doesn't even have any, anything to do with what worked well and what didn't work well. The one thing that I hope that they would see looking back at the tape is this offensive line just isn't good enough. You look at the the teams that are remaining, Matt. Most of them have excellent offensive lines. And, you know, it's hard for me to sit here right now and say that I would say the Bengals don't have an excellent offensive line right now because of the injuries. But go back to what they the players that they signed and everything else on paper that that starting roster was really good. Buffalo's offensive line just isn't. So you need to make investments in that offensive line. And with your cap space limited, that means you need to attack it in the draft. I don't care if you go out and take a center in round one because of Mitch Morris already being there. Same scenario that you mentioned with Landon Dickerson. You can play this guy at guard for a year or two and then move him over to center. If you want to get a right tackle and move Spencer Brown, someone that uh, Brandon Bean went to bat for at his end of the year press conference, by all means do so. If you get a good offensive line in front of Josh Allen, it's going to help his game. It might help you open up the the pass-catching running back idea. It might help you with whatever the personnel that you're trying to do otherwise. But that offensive line is their biggest issue, in my opinion. Your biggest issue this week um, is if you haven't gone over to the Topps Carryout Cafe to get yourself hooked up for uh, championship weekend. And I know people are probably going to be talking about, are you going to watch the games? Kind of bummed out. I don't know if you want to watch football. But whatever you do this weekend, the Topps Carryout Cafe has you covered. Uh, check out everything that they have right now. Hot to go, fresh, large cheese and pepperoni pizzas, $14. Jumbo chicken wing, 10 count, $14. The Topps legendary breakfast pizza. Get yourself a large for $20. Pizza or taco log, six count, $7.69. Baby back rib sections, $5.99 a pound. Sub sandwiches, wraps, apps, sides, and so much more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash redzone for the complete menu of ready-to-enjoy fan favorites. We had some more stuff we wanted to get into, but I think we're going to we're, we're gonna hold off, Ryan. We're, we got a Ryan. big show coming up in 48 hours, and I think uh, we're going to do what um, Brandon Bean said happened at Oliver this season. We're going to leave a little bit of meat on the bone. We're going to come back on Friday. We're going to get after it. We're going to have some wings. We're going to have some beers. It's going to be live. So if you're out of, out of town, if you can't make it into Buffalo, over on uh, 700 Military Road, Road at Froth Brewery and join us for a night of Wings, Beers, and Bills, you can watch live because we're going to stream it right here. You're not going to want to miss it. Can't wait. No final thought, Ryan? I, was, I, was I wasn't asked for I literally lobbed it up to you. I was like this. I, was I, like this. I, I, threw, a, I threw a Bart oh. Scott. Can't wait in there. Final thought. Can't wait for his Friday night at Wing Nuts. Looking forward to breaking down this end of the season, looking ahead to what the Bills need to do uh, to maybe uh, close the gap on the Bengals, the Chiefs, who I think they've done a good job closing the gap on, but uh, really contending a, once again for that Super Bowl title next season. Like uh, and subscribe on YouTube. We really appreciate you guys watching. Leave a review on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your audio version of the podcast. And we can't wait till Friday. We really hope to see you guys all out there. If not, we'll see you in the comments. As always, take care, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.